Uh, good morning. Um, uh, back in uh, 1988, the fall of 1988, I um, was uh, finishing up my senior year of college at Southwest Baptist University in Bolivar, Missouri, north of Springfield. You guys know where that's at? Yay, Southwest Baptist. Anyway, um, I was uh, also in the middle of or kind of into a year-long on-again, off-again relationship with a girl named Cynthia, who we thought we might be the one, but we just were having a hard time getting along with each other. And so we were on and off and all that. We were kind of in a middle place in the fall of 1988 when she began to talk to me about ministering to this tall, red-headed girl from Kansas, from El Dorado, Kansas. And she was really locked in on telling me all this information about a girl named Amy Brown. And um, she was so excited. She had come from a kind of a Baptist uh, conservative home in El Dorado, and, but it kind of in her high school years fell away from the Lord and then was in the process of coming back to Jesus. And Cynthia was just so excited about ministering to her and being her, and she talked about her all the time. I remember just after that, driving down the road um, to go get some snacks. I remember where it was, what, what direction I looked when she said, oh, hey, there's the Amy that we were, I was talking about. Isn't she beautiful? Now, I was still kind of trying to hang in with Cynthia, thought she might be the one. So I played it cool and said, yeah, she's all right. But I mean, bells and alarms and whistles and memory burn happened to me that day. And I'm not kidding. I remember where I was at 9-11, and I remember where I was when I saw Amy Brown for the first time. And it just, it just stung me, just gorgeous redhead running in her white sweatpants. And um, anyway, I'll, I'll move on. But uh, it was an awesome thing. I, after that, she, uh, Cynthia brought her to, with a group, and we were at my uh, a duplex I was living. I lived with three other guys, and uh, all three of them were hitting on Amy at various times on campus. Two of them were engaged, I think, and uh, half the campus was hitting on her. It was kind of a wild thing. And uh, we were all hanging out one night, and one of the guys was engaged and was being inappropriately excited when he would see Amy on campus. So they, before he was gone and was going to come back to the apartment, and they said, hey, let's mess around with him. Sam, won't you jump in the Lazy Boy and Amy jump in there with him, and you guys kind of act like you're together. And I was like, well, all right, I'll... <laughs> I got to do the hard work. I'll do that. So we jumped in there, and she was so soft. It was great. Anyway, we were, we sat together, and we just got to talking, and we were waiting for him to come back. I think he eventually came back. I don't know. I lost track because Amy and I got to talking about similarities in our families, in our interests. We loved Keith Green music. We were just so stirred by that, and I just began to know more about um, Amy Brown. From that point on in October, we started uh, dating in January. We got engaged in March. We were married by June, and we had our first baby coming by August. We were pregnant in August. I, got, I moved from knowing about Amy Brown to really knowing Amy McVeigh. And my proof of that is this picture right here. Those are our nine children and our ten grandchildren, and we spent the last 28 years getting to know each other. I like her a lot, and I like knowing her more than just knowing about her. Cynthia was fairly impressed. I got really impressed about this as I moved into a more intimate knowledge of knowing um, Amy Brown. That's kind of what I want to talk to you about today is not Amy Brown. I want to talk to you about uh, moving from knowing about the Holy Spirit to knowing the Holy Spirit. 
And there is a difference. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and he's more than a doctrine. He's more than a force that we kind of helps us when, we need, when we're, in a, we're in a pickle and need his help. The Holy Spirit is a living person that is a high priority to Jesus. Many believers live most of their life knowing about him, calling upon him to help them a little bit when they're in trouble, but they uh, struggle with knowing him in an intimate way. I think that Christ people are a people, disciples are a people who are ever growing in an intimate knowledge with the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus talked about this in John 14, 16, when he was getting ready to leave the planet, he's getting ready to do the work of atonement and the resurrection. He said, and I will ask the Father for all of you to give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him and he, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. So Jesus was testifying, the Holy Spirit's been with you. He's in me. He and I are one. He's been manifesting through me. You know who this is that I'm going to send to you. And so you don't have to be in fear about this. You're going to know him in a more intimate way. Paul's concerned about this. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, he'll say to believers that are divided and struggling, he'll say, don't you know that you are the temples of God's Holy Spirit? We see from Jesus to the apostles that there is this call in many verses that God wants his people to intimately know himself in the presence of the Spirit. Listen, the reward of the gospel, the reward of the gospel is not necessarily heaven or hell. I grew up in a tradition where the, me getting saved was about me not having to go burn and me getting to go to a place that had golden streets. That was good news to me. But I found out as I read my Bible that the reward of the gospel is God himself. God is the reward. The reason you got saved and he reached to you and loved you was not just so he could get you out of one bad place and get you into a good place. He came so he could get inside you. He came so that he could become your very inner life and could continue the book of Acts through your very existence. The disciples were struggling as Jesus was hinting more and more, I'm going to leave, I'm going to move on. And John 16, 7, love this verse. Jesus says, you're, 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 you're kind of getting sad about this. But I tell you, it's good for you that I go away. Unless I go away, I cannot send him. You see, Jesus had to ascend to the right hand of the Father and receive the Holy Spirit and send him in a way on planet Earth like he had never been before. The Spirit of God had been on earth before. He had helped in the creation process in Genesis chapter 1. He had fallen on kings and prophets, fell on them and empowered them to do things. But the Spirit of God had never been on planet earth as the life-giving source in the inner part of the heart of man. That was what was about to change. And this is what we're gonna, was going to release the dynamic group called the Church of the Living God. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when Peter is preaching the first sermon of, at the birth of the church, the people of God were cut to the heart, it says, in a couple verses before. And they said, how do we get what you're, okay, you guys aren't drunk, you're full of the Spirit. We see something dynamic happen here. We just heard you preach the gospel. How do we become like you? And he said, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, believe the gospel, and then you will receive the gift of heaven. Is that what it says? Do we have that verse? It doesn't say the gift of heaven. It says the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the great gift of the gospel. The Holy Spirit's present. I'm asking you 
today, how are you doing in your knowing of the Holy Spirit? I don't think you can yield to him very well if you're not growing in honest, open relationship with him. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. The Holy Spirit is someone who's working inside you. He's interested in every detail of your life. Listen, the Holy Spirit is the bada-bing of the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the great reward of the gospel that we get him inside us. And when I say Holy Spirit, I don't just mean tongues or prophecy or fruits of the Spirit or him moving in power. I really mean the person of the Holy Spirit. Everybody in this room that has the Spirit of God inside them say amen. That's the best news you've ever had. The gospel, the salvation, the forgiveness of your sins is not the end game. The end game, that's the entry into the end game. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And he gave us his very life, the person of the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. I believe this is so important to Paul. We'll see him in Acts 19. He's in Ephesus. He finds a group of disciples. It says in Acts 19, verse 1, And as it happened, that while Apollos was in Corinth, who had just been in Ephesus, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, what had happened here is that Apollos was a guy who was real passionate. If you go back to chapter 18, he had heard the gospel. He had heard about Jesus, but he was preaching John the Baptist's uh, gospel. He was preaching that baptism. You need to repent, be baptized, and believe upon Jesus. He was preaching Jesus. In fact, it'll say he was preaching accurately about Jesus. But he was only giving half the gospel. Priscilla and Aquila had to go and take him aside and explain to him further, listen, this is more than just about him dying on the cross and raising from the dead. He now has come to send his very life into the heart of human beings. And they instructed him, and Apollos moved on to Corinth, but Paul found some of the old disciples that had been affected by him. And they had not received the Spirit. So Paul leads them to an experience of the Spirit, lays his hands upon them. They're filled with the Spirit. They prophesy. They speak in tongues. And they have an Acts 2 kind of experience. Listen, everyone in this room, you should fully expect to have a living relationship with the Holy Spirit and to have a chronicled list of experiences with that same Spirit of God. Everybody in the room that believes that God is alive, say amen. amen. Everybody in the room that believes that the same Holy Spirit that was on Jesus is inside you, say amen. amen. Same that was on Paul and Peter, in you, on me, amen then you should fully expect to have manifesting experiences because of a living relationship with the Holy Spirit. In fact, I would say this. It's abnormal if you're not having a regular, living, chronicled experience with the Holy Spirit. He so wants to know you. He so wants to manifest through you. And really, this is what makes us unique on the planet. We're not a bunch of people carrying around the information of the gospel only. We're doing that, but we're more than that. We're carrying the very presence of the king in the person of the Holy Spirit. I engage lost people not with just, hey, he died for your sins, he rose from the dead. Do you believe upon him? I engage people with the very presence of God when I'm in their presence. Are you with me? We carry his presence. We are the presence carriers on planet Earth. God's not just hovering around in a cloud right now. He's in the people of God. He's manifesting through the people of God. And what lost people need is, yes, the revelation of what Jesus did on the cross and how he rose from the dead. But I'm telling you, they need an experience of his presence. And we're the only hope. 
We're the only hope. The church is the only hope on planet Earth for this uh, experience to happen. My life is filled and chronicled with these kind of experiences. So are yours. But mine began at age 10. At age 10, I heard the gospel in a revival. My family was in and out. And the Spirit of God convicted me with such intensity, I had a week-long experience where I couldn't sleep at night because I was so convicted about my sin. I didn't care about it before. And all of a sudden at 10, I mean, the worst thing I'd done is stole Tonka toys from my brother or, you know what I mean, stole a Twinkie from him. I don't know what I, I didn't like had time to go do drugs and sin a lot. But I knew by the Spirit of God that my darkness of heart separated me from the living God. I remember open visions laying on my bed and like, God's over there, I'm here, and I'm in trouble. That happened to me because of the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in southern Illinois. I, at the end of that week, bowed down by the bed with my dad, both of us in a clad in our underwear, and I received Jesus Christ right there at that altar, and the Spirit of God came and flooded me with peace. Fear turned to faith, and peace came to me and began a history of me walking in Jesus. Within a year or two, the Holy Spirit had stirred my heart more, and all of a sudden I craved the Word of God. All I had was a King James Bible and a day-by-day with Billy Graham, but I started obsessively reading the Bible, and I was the most undisciplined guy you would ever meet. But he made me hungry. Nobody ever told me to read the Bible. It was the grace of God. My flesh nature didn't want to do it, but the Spirit of God did it inside me. Amy and I, I met her. We sat in that chair, that thing I told you. I was like, this is happening so fast. And Amy had a bit of a different resume than I thought I would have in a wife because of some stuff she had just been through the three years before. I multiple times, we'd be sitting in a room silent. I would pray inside myself, Lord, if this is the one that I'm to marry, would you confirm it right now with your presence? And I promise you, without saying a word, the presence of God would come and fill us both. We would feel his presence. We would feel joy and peace and literally begin to giggle. Now, I was giggling a little bit because she was a hottie, but it was the presence of God. It really was, and it was undeniable. The Spirit of God kept leading us. I was up in Kansas City. I was a 23-year-old man, and I remember October 17th in, um, in, two, in 1990, the Spirit spoke to us and said, Go to El Dorado, Kansas. I've given you a people, a place, and a purpose. And the Lord set me in Kansas for now 28 years, 27 years of, of ministry. I remember sitting one time and fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit in my bedroom. This is just a few years ago. I'm being quiet. I'm fellowshipping with him. And I'm just wanting to be with him. I'm having union. And I hear the Spirit say inside my inner man, money is coming to your door. And I was like, well, that was weird. It was just a sentence. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I didn't hear an audible voice. I just knew in my inner man, I heard the phrase. I wasn't praying about money, but the Spirit said, money's coming to your door. It was so strong in my inner man. I, I ran downstairs, and the mail gets put in through the, through the door, and it was laying on the floor. So I went through the floor and looked and went, oh, no check. Okay, another pizza, drink, pizza moment. You know what I mean? I, maybe I missed it. I went into the kitchen, and there was an envelope that Amy had pulled out. Amy left all the bills on the floor, but picked up one, one envelope that had a $38 check in it. Now, I know that doesn't sound impressive to you, but I looked at it and went, well, that's cool. Money came to my door today. For 21 days, a check came to my mail every day. Sometimes it was $38, sometimes it was a couple hundred dollars, one time it was $6,000 came in. Now, the money was great, but I'll tell you what was better was my increased relationship with the Holy Spirit. I heard him, he confirmed, and amazing things began to happen. 
I remember one time being at a coffee shop, and the Spirit of God put in my heart a longing for the guy that I saw sitting over there drinking coffee. I went and engaged him a little bit. He was a Jewish guy who called himself agnostic. He said he didn't believe. He had heard of me. He had actually come to my church uh, 15, 20 years before, but wasn't buying it. And I began to engage him a little bit, and the Spirit inside me while I'm sitting with him says, ask him if he's had any dreams. And he's telling me how he doesn't believe in God and blah, blah, blah. And I say, hey, have you had any dreams about Jesus? He goes, you know, that's weird you ask. One year ago, I had a dream of Jesus. I go, really, what was he doing? He said he was on the cross, crucified. I go, don't you find that a little bit weird? And he said, yeah, that is a little strange. And a little strange that you asked me that. That began a supernatural encounter that led to five days later him receiving Jesus Christ as his Messiah. As I showed him Psalms 22 and Isaiah 53 and how he was the crucified lamb that had come to Jesus. I tell you, walking with the Holy Spirit is the great power and adventure of the Christian life. And it's amazing what will happen on a regular basis. I remember being in China a few, a few what was it, a year and a half ago and hearing there's global consequences for what we do with prayer in Wichita. And that's what instigated me to go and meet with guys like Dennis and other people as the Lord promised. I'm going to draw thousands of people together that will pray together in this city for revival. And we are now seeing that swelling prayer movement. It's so exciting to walk with the Holy Spirit. What I didn't tell you about was a bunch of encounters that are more embarrassing about me. Those are all fun highlight ones. Where the Spirit would come to me and go, you're a prideful little sucker. And he, he didn't really say sucker, but he said, <laughs> I felt that. With love. Listen, you arrogant, you know, you, and, and, and that problem with that relationship, that's, you need to go and apologize. I'm like, Lord, you saw that deal. I win that argument. I'm right. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You need to go and submit to me and go. I would go, humble myself. Spirit of God would fill us in that moment. How the Spirit of God has ministered to me when I'd struggle with sin. And I'd be down. The devil's telling me, you'll never, ever become what, I've, what, what, what the Lord says you'll be and what you want to be. You're a condemned loser. <laughs> And the Spirit of God would break in and remind me of Bible verses and of God's faithfulness on a regular basis. Oh, how he's come to me when I was down in the pit and how he's convicted me of my problems. I tell you, the Christian life is supposed to be lived possessed by the Holy Spirit. And I wonder how you're doing. Are you having inner dialogue? He has interest in everything that's going on in your life. Let me lay out a couple, three things, just really quick here, and then we'll do a ministry time and pray. But um, I want to, there's three theological dynamic things that you need to know and have confidence that you've had happen in your life. Number one, sealed by the Spirit. You've got to know that you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. When does that happen? Ephesians 1.13 says, Having believed, we are, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked or sealed in him. With, uh, with the promised seal of the Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. The seal of the Holy Spirit is what happens to us when we're born again. The seal doesn't come and go. When you were born again, when you believed the gospel, the Spirit of God entered inside and joined with your most inner man, your spirit man, actually, is what the Bible calls it. In 1 Corinthians six seventeen, it says, He who joins himself with the Lord joins with him in spirit. We become one spirit. That's how we get in Christ. Is the spirit comes in and intermingles, joins with, and becomes one with our very core being. So at 10 years old, I became a new species on planet Earth. I no longer was old Sam McVeigh in Adam's race, headed for judgment. I was a new creature, a new creation. 
And so we were saying last night to our, in our equipping meeting uh, uh, over in the middle of town, I was just telling people, you, stop any thinking that you're a sinner saved by grace trying to be a son. That's not true. You're a son or daughter of the living God who sometimes struggles with sin, but you're living by grace and grace will always win. And there's a difference There's a difference. The devil wants you thinking that you're a sinner, bumbling fool that God's having to put up with, and eventually he's going to get you out of hell and get you into heaven. That's not true. He who began a good work in you will do what, everybody? Bring it unto completion. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. The spirit of the living God has more vested in your sanctification than you do. You are the righteousness of God. In fact, it says in 2 2 Corinthians 5, he who had no sin, Jesus, became sin for us that we what? Might become the righteousness of God. And I tell you, often we feel so dirty, I doubt you feel like you're the righteousness of God. But you are because you're sealed and you're in him and you get his righteousness. You need to stop working so hard to get righteousness and let righteousness come out from you. Jesus is already righteous enough, amen? The Spirit doesn't struggle with sin. So when he lives up out through us, he begins to manifest those righteous and holy things. you got to know that you're sealed, and you're sealed once forever. Number two, you need to be filled. The same book, four chapters later in Ephesians chapter 5, 18, um, Paul will say, Don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. This word here, can't pronounce, is a present imperative and does not describe a one-time filling. In fact, I've heard it translated, be being filled with the Spirit. You are leaky vessels, so sometimes the Spirit drains out of your experience, drains out of your person. Anybody notice that? The Spirit never leaves you because you're sealed. He's always with you. He never leaves you. But he can be in the inner core of your being, but not be filling you in your inner person, your mind, will, and emotion. So he calls us to be filled with the Spirit over and over and over again. In fact, Peter's filled, I think, four times in the book of Acts. He's filled multiple times for power encounters and things he'll do. So we are to be filled. Filled with the Spirit. Number three, we're to be led with the Spirit by the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 will say, So walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.18 will say, But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We're not only sealed with the Spirit, He's in there. We're not only to be filled with the Spirit over and over, but literally the Spirit of the living God wants to be involved in every detail of your life. He cares about your finances. He cares about your sexuality. He cares about your marriage. In fact, the key to a successful marriage is two spirit-filled people. Now, there's other dynamics involved in all that, but that really solves a thousand and one problems. When you're filled with the Spirit, amazing things begin to happen about how you treat your spouse. Raising children, uh, again, finances, your job, dealing with the cranky boss, all of this can be done By the Spirit of God's leading in our lives. The Spirit of God has an opinion about everything you're doing. He's in fact checking you, leading you, wooing you, moving on you. We've just become fairly good at ignoring most of those moments. But he wants to tenderize our heart so that we will be more sensitive and hear him and be moved by him in every way. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. I know as I'm talking to what I would believe is a majority of believers in this, in this, in this uh, room, is that the spirit of the living God is alive and well inside you right now. 
I don't, we, don't, we could have some amazing music. We could come up here and have the best sermon you ever heard. You could get enthusiasm, and I promise you, it's going to wear off by tonight. You're going to forget most of what's been, being preached. It's, it's kind of shocking. I don't know if you've seen the numbers of how much they forget that we say. It's, yeah. Yeah, well, I just want to encourage you. Yeah, it's, they're going to forget. But listen, what, good sermons, and praise God, let's have good sermons, let's have good music. But the thing that transforms the human heart is the person of the Holy Spirit. It's transforming experiences with the Holy Spirit. It's him alive and well and us growing in openness and responding to his leading as he developed Christ within us. It's our only hope. And the Spirit of God wants to fill every one of you in a dynamic and a supernatural way. Um, I um, used to want to just be successful in people listening to me. I, I used to want to be successful in my church growing. I used to want to just kind of get through and have enough finances to be safe. But the Lord at near 50 for me, I'm getting desperate now. And I know that the, nothing good happens within my life except that the Spirit of God does it inside me. And so I'm get, making it my mission, honestly, even the prayer movement, this is my primary mission, is that the church of the living God would make their primary desire be, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the way that we glorify Jesus the most is by the Holy Spirit. The way that we overcome sin is by the Holy Spirit. In fact, if we could do Galatians 5.16 again, Mike, there, I just want to make this point about this verse. It says, so say, I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. This is a verse I'm working on all the time with men that I'm discipling. Uh, the guys I'm discipling, they care about Jesus, or they wouldn't be meeting with me. And they want to stop gratifying the desires of the sinful nature. Almost every guy I meet is working on the last part of that or you know they're not really following jesus so they really want to stop doing that the problem is is that they're getting the cart before the horse do you see what i mean they're focused on stopping gratifying the desires of the flesh when actually they don't need to focus on that first what they need to focus on first is what walking by the spirit I will constantly say, listen, I get it you don't want to look at that and touch that and do that and drink that and be that. I get that. You don't want the flesh to rage in you. You hate the judgment of sin and what it does to relationships in your insides. But I promise you, if you put a ton of effort and into just working at stopping doing those things, you're either going to become more frustrated because you're a failure or you're going to become proud like a pharisee because you succeed a little bit either way you're going to separate from the lord the thing i need you to focus on is why is it that you keep stopping walking by the spirit why is it that you're not being filled with the spirit that's the thing i need you to focus on because when somebody's filled with the holy spirit they don't struggle with the same stuff they do when they're just in the flesh i've never had anybody come up to me and go sam i was I was filled with the Holy Spirit. It was awesome. It was filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know what I wanted to do? I just wanted to go out and just rob a bank and commit adultery. It was awesome. Never, I've never had that. Have you ever? I've never had anybody just filled with the Holy Spirit and say, yeah, I just want to go fight with my wife. She's just such a yeah, blah, 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 blah. They, they don't do that. You get filled with the Spirit. You be, I've never had somebody so filled with the Spirit come with the fill of the Spirit and complain about it. I've never had anybody go, oh my gosh, it was amazing. The life of God came in me. I was full of joy. I was fully stirred, deeply just restored in my heart. And man, that whole time just stunk. Never had anybody do that. The best times on planet earth for any believer I've ever met is when they're filled with the Holy Spirit. 
So why don't we go for this like all the time? I think this should be at the top of your list of things you're praying about. Fill me with the Spirit. I want to be more filled with the Spirit. Where am I grieving you and quenching you? I want to be done with that because I want you to fill me. Listen, the most awesome entertainment for youth, I'm imagining your youth, you look younger than me. Yes. We want them to be, you know, stirred by sounds and sights and funny people. But the thing that's going to get them for the long haul is if they get possessed and filled with the Holy Spirit and get addicted to that. That will transform their lives forever. Amen, everybody? Jesus is the greatest youth pastor ever on planet Earth. And he, what he does with his, his flock is he baptizes them with the Holy Spirit. He fills them. So that's what we love among our midst is seeing 12-year-olds filled with the Holy Spirit, reading the Word, sharing the Gospel, making disciples, giving words to people. It's pretty fun to watch that happen. And they're like, hey, pay, we're like, pay attention over here. We want to entertain you. And they're like, nah, I, I am entertained. Jesus is the greatest entertainment on planet Earth. Amen? I'm just a crazy man, aren't I? <laughs> Praise the Lord. I, uh, I just wanted you to all know that, the Holy, that Jesus wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit more than you want to be filled. He's working around you on a regular basis to do that. He really is. And um, I, um, I want to just confirm to you that you don't have to get God to do stuff. I don't know what you're feeling this morning with what I'm preaching and when I told a few stories and there's a thousand more. But if there's anything in you that's thinking or anyone in here that's thinking, how can I get God doing stuff like that around me or in me? I need to tell you something. He's already doing it. He's already doing it. You don't have to get God to want to fill you. You don't have to get God to want to stir you and heal you. He wants to do it a thousand times more than you want it. What you got to do is start discerning his activity around you. In fact... It says in John chapter 12, John chapter 12, there's this interesting story where Jesus is kind of bringing closure again, headed to the cross, and he's talking about his death upcoming. And he says in the middle of talking to them, he cries out and says, Father, glorify your name. This is my heart with what's about to happen. Glorify your name. Does anybody remember what happened after that? The Father, God, speaks from the heavenly realms out loud with a crowd of people there and says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Amazing moment. The commentary then on that from the gospel writer from John is, it says, some said it thundered. Some, Jesus heard the voice of his father, I have glorified it, but everybody else around went, did you hear that thunder? Did you hear that thunder? You know what that means, everybody? Was it thunder? No, it was the voice of the living God. Only Jesus was the one who was walking as a son could articulate the rumblings that were happening around him. I promise you this, because our God is a pursuing God, every one of you have got thunder rumblings going on around you right now. It's happening through your circumstances. It's happening through people around you and what they're saying. There are rumblings and there is thunder. The question is, are you going to hear the voice of God or are you just going to go, wow, there's a storm on the horizon? I promise you, God's moving all around you. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. I praise you for your love for us. I thank you that your people can go beyond knowing about you to personally knowing you. We thank you that you want to multiply the book of Acts in our lives. 
I thank you that you're the initiator in our relationship, not us. That you're the one that's coming after us. You're a pursuing God. You're not standing away waiting for us to get cleaned up. You come after us when we're crazy dirty because you crazy love us. And we just thank you for that. I pray right now for an increase, a Holy Spirit increase of revelation of how you're moving around us right now. Pray it for the young and the middle-aged and the old in the room. Would you increase our awareness? Would you increase our heart? Would you take away the hardness of heart, the blindness of eye? May we have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to perceive your very presence working around us right now. I want to ask specifically for those that are under condemnation in this season. There's a shroud and blanket of shame over their lives. They're so guilty they can't hear your love trying to break through. I pray this morning would be the morning that they have a power encounter with you. Where you, by your grace, wash them clean. Activate them into living relationship. And they see a father who doesn't turn away a prodigal, but runs to meet a prodigal that's turning back home. Thank you for your love for us. We pray your Holy Spirit just increase our experience and our awareness of you now.